This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Invest Talk. This is a series by The Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Invest Talk, we talk money matters and all things related to investing. We want to give you that extra edge in managing your hard earned money. I'm Lee Su Shen, Associate Editor and Senior Columnist at The Straits Times. Joining me in the studio for this episode is Kevin Ting, CEO, Rise Wealth Management Singapore. Kevin has more than two decades of experience in advising clients in investment and wealth matters. He has just joined Rise, a boutique player in the digital wealth advisory space. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you, Sushen. Glad to be here. In this episode, we will look at trends in investing by the ultra-high net worth investors. Are they taking a conservative investing path? The economic outlook is looking challenging with elevated interest rates and ongoing China-US tensions. Are these well-heeled investors taking a conservative path or are they moving back into the market? What about private equity and private investments? What's their view on that? So Kevin, maybe the first question. There is growing wealth in Asia. So what are some of the investment concerns that the wealthy have? Indeed, Sushen. So whilst Asia is the world's richest continent, our clients remain concerned with rising interest rates, inflationary pressures, and geopolitical risks, just to name a few. Some of these common concerns of the ultra-high net worth investors involve strategies to grow, protect, and preserve wealth for themselves and their next generations. Wealthy investors often seek hedges by looking at assets that can withstand inflation. Some examples are equities, gold, real estate, and commodities, essentially your more tangible assets. And last, and most importantly, wealth transfer remains a critical focus for our clients. We see more family offices established to enable effective succession planning. Some common concerns are, how do I identify and groom successors? How and when do I relinquish control to my next generation? How do I establish the right structures to ensure that there is a successful wealth transfer? Okay, we'll go a bit into that later. Um, Next up, where have some of the wealthy investors been putting their money? So at RISE, our clients do invest across a broad spectrum of asset classes. Fixed income, equities, both public and private, real estate, venture capital, hedge funds, commodities, as well as other alternative investments. As you can imagine, personal preference and risk appetite is key here. Some have traditionally always focused on private equity and real estate. These asset classes offer a potential for high returns, but they also do carry more liquidity risks. In the case of a client who is just starting to accumulate wealth, a significant portion of their net worth goes towards their primary residential home. Remaining funds are then invested in various other assets to generate passive returns. The asset allocation picture changes very dramatically as wealth increases. Beyond the primary residence, real estate is now added as investment holdings. We also tend to see larger allocations made to public and private equity as wealth grows even further. Right, Kevin. Um, Recently, there was some legislation to promote the use of this particular structure, which is called the Variable Capital Company, VCC for short. 
So some family offices have been using them. Could you tell us a bit more about this structure? Yeah, so a VCC is essentially a fund management vehicle with attractive tax incentives and other benefits. There are several key benefits for single-family offices to use a VCC. I will break that down into four. First, and most importantly, the VCC allows for segregation of assets under the subfund level. Assets of one subfund cannot be used to discharge liabilities of another subfund, therefore preventing the co-mingling of assets between subfunds. Second, the VCC allows for foreign funds structured similar to a collective investment scheme to be redomiciled to Singapore. Third, the VCC does provide a lot of cost efficiency. This is possible as subfunds are maintained under the same umbrella VCC and can share the same directors and other service providers, such as fund administrators. Finally, single-family offices, by managing their own VCCs, can qualify for the MAS VCC grant scheme to allay a portion of the expenses incurred. Right. The private markets and venture capital markets uh, despite their you know, attractiveness, they've become quite quiet and capital seems to have dried up. So what's the view of these wealthy investors and are they still keen on private equity? Yeah, you're right there. In general, I think private equity will always have a role in many clients' portfolios as they carry a potential for high returns and an opportunity for diversification. In 2023, we have seen private markets and venture capital markets experience a significant decrease in activity this decline can be attributed to various factors, including a rise in interest rates and thereby the cost of capital, which then results in a notable reduction in deals, exits, fundraising during the latter part of 2022. But despite all this, PE investments still offer potential for higher returns compared to their public market counterparts, making them an appealing option for investors. They typically exhibit lower volatility while providing attractive returns, presenting an enticing risk-return profile. Finding real diversification in public markets isn't easy. But even though we have seen private market returns outperform public returns across different time spans, investors should exercise greater due diligence as we are now operating in an investment landscape that is very, very different from what we experienced for the last 15 years. Right. So the investment landscape has changed quite dramatically. But say, how, how has it changed compared with maybe six months or a year ago? Seems like a lifetime ago. So we do really live in very interesting times now. The frequency of black swan, quote unquote, events has become much more common than ever. And a lot of this can actually be attributed to the increasing monetary as well as fiscal policy actions around the world. Immediate remedies for a current problem at hand often results in magnified issues down the road. With market uncertainty, it is evident that traditional investment strategies need to be refined. Take, for example, the 60-40 investment strategy, which involves allocating 60% of one's portfolio to stocks and 40% to bonds, and then maybe we sit on it for the next 10 or 20 years. This used to work, but not anymore. As recent as two years ago, buying bonds was deemed to be safe and wise. Fast forward now, two years on to the current environment, this actually carries a lot more significant risks due to inflation and rising interest rates. So the investment landscape does really change rapidly and time waits for no man. Given this environment, how should investors react then? I think there really just isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to investing. 
Investors should be proactive and adaptable. We need to be forward-thinking in order to seize the right opportunities and protect our investment portfolios. In a nutshell, these are just some of the things we do at RISE. As an independent wealth advisory firm, we help clients navigate these challenges and opportunities of today. Remaining on cruise mode down consensus lane is a recipe for losses and disaster. I believe that the demand for contrarian thinking and dynamic portfolio allocation is much more pressing given the challenges to come our way in these next 10 years. In terms of geography, do you see Asian investors putting more money outside Asia and vice versa for non-Asian investors? What considerations do they have? That's a good question. We see all investors globally, not just Asian, investing more in what they deem to know best. Rightly so, but a lot of times, investors then end up with what we call a geographical home bias in their portfolios. A home bias is driven by behavioral traits and happens when investors overinvest in familiar assets, potentially missing out on opportunities elsewhere and falling deeper into danger that they did not see coming. Asian investors prefer investing in Asian equities and bonds now. These are outshining its peers in the West in terms of valuation amidst improved market sentiment and a much-anticipated stimulus for China's economic recovery. Another consideration that investors look at is, of course, higher returns. We have seen a spike of cross-border investments in emerging markets where growth rates are expected to be much higher than in developed markets. Lastly, investors also seek a diversification of portfolios. This is important for those that are concerned about the volatility of the global economy as they seek long-term investments that can help to mitigate unexpected losses. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest today, Kevin Ting, CEO, Rise Wealth Management Singapore. For the Singapore market, Kevin, what are the attractions for these wealthy investors and family offices? Some say that the Singapore market is actually too small. So allow me to quote KPMG's 2023 Global Family Office Compensation Benchmark Report. Basically, Singapore is home to more than half of Asia's family offices, highlighting Singapore's popularity as a wealth hub amongst the ultra-high net worth individuals. Despite the size of our Singapore market, I think Singapore plays an increasingly important role as a global financial hub due to our stable politics, a favorable regulatory environment, our Asian nexus, as well as a robust legal system. The number of family offices being set up in Singapore has increased exponentially and will continue to increase, with the ultra-high net worths becoming more concerned about protecting their wealth as they set their sights for the long term amidst volatile conditions globally. What's the outlook for the rest of the year, Kevin? And what areas are these family offices looking at? Ah, the million-dollar question. Contrary to the popular rhetoric of rates to fall, I actually anticipate interest rates to continue moving higher. The longer end of the curve has started to rise, and this should continue well into the end of the year. As rates move and stay higher in the US, this potentially means a widening of credit spreads for companies and countries that are looking to refinance 
their existing debt. The days of easy credit are certainly behind us, and a differentiation of the fiscally sound from the financially irresponsible seems impending. There is also an increased potential for greater geopolitical tensions and skirmishes, as we see more and more nations redouble efforts on inward-focused momentum. These effects of a global growth slump means basically that exports cease to be even less of a stimulus to growth than what they used to be. In general, we see family offices paying more attention to fixed income now that yields have risen. I understand this appeal because this seems more attractive now compared to the rates environment we saw for the past 15 years. However, we caution against taking duration risk now. To conclude, investors need to stay nimble and ought to have a good understanding of the history of financial markets. Do your own research so that you can better steward your wealth. Lastly, independent wealth advisors can help by providing an autonomous view. So that's it from us. The well-heeled investor is looking more at bonds as well as private credit and the alternative investment space. There is no one-size-fits-all, and given the uncertainties in the market, investors need to be proactive and adaptable. Thanks very much for your insights, Kevin. Great to be here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Invest Talk, a series by the Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. I'm Lee Su Shen. If you'd like to read my column, there are links in our podcast show notes. Happy investing. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for general information purposes only and are not intended to be relied upon as financial advice. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties. All opinions expressed by participants in this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of SPH Media.